Hello and welcome to the Synergen Leadership Podcast. My name is Julian Carl, CEO and co-founder of Synergen Group. And once again, really happy to share with you that uh, this latest episode of the podcast is uh, going to be a really good one. So today's episode, I speak with Lisa Stevenson, who is the author of Read Me First. And I've got to say, this is probably one of the most fun interviews that I've done as part of the little podcast journey this season. And I think you'll find it really interesting because uh, Lisa's book is very much uh, talking about what it means to be successful and successful from uh, the perspective of beyond work, more more uh, including you know family, friends, life, all those sort of things. So it's a really, really fascinating book. And we're able to have a conversation about how it applies to leaders and some of the challenges people face in being successful. So... Uh, would love to hear what you think particularly about this episode. So it'd be great if you could leave some uh, feedback for us. Happy listening. Welcome to the Synergen Leadership Podcast with Julian Carl. Julian speaks with leaders from around Australia to bring you their leadership story and share their insights about being a leader. To further help you build your leadership capability, Julian shares his own insights about leadership and the tools and techniques he uses as a leader. So welcome, Lisa, to the Synergen Leadership Podcast. Really happy that you've uh, made the time available to be a part of it so that the listeners have a little bit of sense about who you are. Can you tell everyone who is Lisa Stevenson? Oh, yes. I'll try not to talk about myself too much <laughs> because being shy is not one of the things I have to worry about. So my name is Lisa Stevenson and I do lots of stuff actually. So I'm mostly known for my work as a success coach. So I'm really passionate about helping people work out what their potential is and what high performance looks like for them. And I also have a consulting business. We work globally. So um, we work with all kinds of clients actually in terms of leadership programs, but we also work with elite athletes, entrepreneurs, CEOs. So we sit on the coaching panels with lots of clients as well. And I have a private coaching practice, so work with lots of clients on a one-on-one basis. And I've written a book and I'm a mum. I have three little people and uh, I really like Aperol Spritz. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, (laughs) nice. Just to get that out there. Just to get that out there. Yeah. So I wouldn't mind actually just narrowing in on one thing you said, success coach. Because I'm, I'm pretty keen for the the listeners to hear about success and success through a leadership lens. Mm. So if you can explain a little bit more about what a success coach does. Yeah, and I think it's an important question because once people get into senior leadership roles, they've also got a, they've generally established a brand, and sometimes it's not a brand they really want. You know, they've become known for something that doesn't necessarily serve where they want to be in their career. So the work that I do with leaders is very much about working out for them what success looks like in terms of the role that they're in, who they're working with, what they're known for, also what they stand for as a leader and getting very clear about how they create success then with their team and more broadly across the organisation. So I find that can be quite confronting, you know, because most of us have got so many different lenses and layers in there around what success is meant to be and organisationally there's normally frameworks we're meant to adhere to and so breaking all of that down and saying, well, hang on a second, if you've got this one opportunity in this chapter that you're in right now, what is it that you want to be known for and how are you going to do that? Okay, great. Mm. 
So we're here to talk about your book. Yes. So why did you decide, I, I'm holding it up because I'm so used to doing yes. it in front of a camera, right? there's no camera here. Why did you decide to write Read Me First? Yeah. So, oh gee, do you know when you ask me that question, I think about what a big job it's been and it's been quite a ride. So they say we all have a book in us. I don't know who they are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who are they? Yeah. And I, it's something that had always been on my mind but then again so is running a marathon and I haven't done that so (laughs) but it was just this inner voice that kind of said you know one day you'll have enough to share that you'll want to distill it into a book you know when you've done 20 years of coaching mentoring consulting working in senior roles I knew that there would be something that would kind of bring it together where I wanted to distill that into something and then I had a bit of a personal ride, you know, in doing divorce and various things as well, where in my own story, I really had to work out who I was and what I wanted life to look like. And so I decided, I guess, at some point in there that writing the book would be something that would a allow me to share my learning with others, but also be a new experience for me. And so I actually did this super cool, amazing thing uh, where I took my children out of school uh, and we went and lived in Italy for three months. I know, nice, stop it. Nice. I know, if only everyone could see your face right yeah. now. Yeah. Italy is my, <laughs> my go-to destination. I would oh, like to, it's next on my list. Oh, it's just, you know, it just feeds your soul. Mm. And when you've had a career and, you know, I think particularly for lots of leaders and parents, our life is very much about serving others and giving. And Italy as a country just gives back, you know, you just you eat carbs every day and <laughs> you discover a passion for Aperol spritz. And, uh, and you know, what happened there was, A, it was a healing time for me and, and gave me some time to step out of my business and see how that would run without me, you know, what would happen. Mm-hmm. As it turns out, I'm not that important because the team did a great job and everything kept running when I wasn't there. And I wrote the first draft of the book. And it was interesting when I got back and I read the first draft and went, that is so boring. I want to stab myself in the eye. You know, it was terrible. So it's been quite a ride to get from there to where I am now, being able to sit with you and, you know, watch someone physically hold up a book. Great. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So what I'm going to do is, uh, well, first of all, I'm going to do a shameless plug on your behalf. Uh, I think everyone should go out and and get this book, uh, Read Me First, and it's through Major Street Publishing. So shout out to Leslie. (laughs) Uh, But I think what I'm going to do is explore some key things which which stood out for me mm-hmm. and you know, sort of put you on the spot and dig deeper and in bits and pieces. Does that Great. sound all good? I love that. I love being put on the spot. All right. So I'm pretty keen about this idea that you speak about uh, near the start of the book is this idea about where are you now? Mm. Are you able to share a little bit more about what, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I think it's really important that we can stop and do a bit of an audit on where we are because so often people focus on the past, where they've been and who they were, and they carry that forward and, and that can get them a bit stuck. And they also spend time thinking about where they want to go. And if you can't look at where you are now and stop, A, celebrate what's going well and what you've achieved, and B, also think about what the gaps are for you, you know, what's the stuff that's not working in your life. 
I find that when we're grown-ups, whatever age we want to put around that, particularly when we are in positions where we are having to make big decisions, we might be leading people, growing a business, whatever that is, we get really stuck in being busy and can and you know can find ourselves in the waiting place and not know we are. So we're just going along and getting everything done that needs to get done. And at some point, if we want to consciously choose where we're going, we need to be clear about where we've got to and, and how we got here. And do you find many leaders don't actually take that time just to stop and think about that, yeah. where, where they are? Well, the successful leaders do. You know, I, I think that's an interesting thing to think about, that people who are successful in life, whatever that means for them, are generally pretty good at self-managing and they'll pay attention. You know, they are quite conscious about knowing how they have to look after themselves. They know if their relationship isn't working. You know, they're quite conscious about that. But there are many, many, many people who are just doing survival, you know, and that might actually be quite good. They're in a job that, you know, they're really good at, that they enjoy in an industry that is thriving. Things might be pretty good at home, but that is not the same as strategically and consciously planning where you want to go next. Okay. Mm. And do you think that impact, there's an impact in terms of the level of leadership people are at? So that if they're they're at a particular level, they're more likely to be reflective than if they're you know early just starting out or in a lower level of leadership. Yeah, I I don't know that it's so much about age. I think it's more about the circumstances that they find themselves in. Mm-hmm. So what I find is that it's really hard for everything in life to line up perfectly at the same time. So often we might find that we're in a role that we love, but home is not so great, or we're in a relationship that just feeds our soul and it's amazing, And but we are finding that our health is not where it should be. You know, all those key elements in life, to get them lined up at the same time is a real challenge. And so I find it's a bit circumstantial that, you know, people will start to pay attention when one of those things is about to collapse and break, you know, and of course, in an ideal scenario, we wouldn't wait for things to feel that hard. You know, we'd be getting onto it a bit earlier. Mm. Mm. So you talk about this idea of understanding your story. Mm. So let's dig into that a little bit. Yeah. I'm really fascinated by this, that particularly in Australian culture, we're quite uncomfortable talking about ourselves. You know, we're meant to be kind of humble and quiet and, you know, we don't want to be too reflective and we don't want to look arrogant and we're pretty contained. Uh, And it's really, you know, it's, it's obvious to me when I go and work somewhere like America where, you know, it is a different way of being and people are very comfortable telling me what they're good at, you know. (laughs) And so I do think we we miss something when we don't understand our story, which is about how self-aware we are Mm. and about uh, how we make decisions and how we do relationships. We miss the opportunity to understand what our unique positioning statement is, you know. We miss that chance to have real clarity about understanding why we operate the way we do. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it's it's 
uh, this phrase comes up a lot in my programs, but it's the the whole idea of the tall poppy. Yes, you know, yeah. I think a lot of people feel very uncomfortable sharing what they're good at. Yes. For fear that someone else is going to take aim at them and try to take them down. Yeah, and then there's a chance that can happen. You know, mm. we are highly competent at that. Unfortunately, <laughs> I think, in a, particularly in Australia. And what can happen is we end up with, you know, a team of people who have really great, well-developed weaknesses because we are far more comfortable talking about what we need to do better, Mm. what we have to stop doing, you know, what our areas for development are. Mm. We just don't spend enough time saying, you know, I own me and my story and this is who I am and this is what I'm really good at and this is how I bring value to relationships, to my role, to my people You know, I think things could be quite different when people invest the time in understanding how to tell their own story. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned a word there which I always think is important, which is this idea of the value that someone brings to a role or to a leadership position. Why do you think it is that a lot of people don't necessarily see that value in terms of identifying what they're really good at and sharing it? Mm, uh, I'm... So this kind of links this whole topic that we're talking about right now. I'm really passionate about this in that I think people are super competent at diminishing themselves. You know, we tend to play quite small. And even if we have ambitious thinking, you know, we have to be very careful about who we'd share that with or where we put those thoughts and we've got to know our place. And even people who are a bit more overt about where they want to go and the brand and and how they achieve things tend to still either diminish themselves in some way or others. You know, I wonder what, what our world would look like and particularly the corporate world or anyone who's in business if we said, I actually will hold strong values to achieving success through others, so by making others bigger than me and also by role modeling that. You know, I'm really comfortable telling people what I'm good at, not because I think I'm perfect. There's a whole lot of stuff, of course, that I mess up and and could do better. But I actually think I have a responsibility when I'm running a business to know very, very clearly and to be able to articulate to clients what I do well. Well, that's what they're buying. That's what they're buying. Yeah, they want your expertise. You you hope so, right? (laughs) We hope, you know. And so uh, I think successful people do that well. You know, they can present that in a way that doesn't make them sound like a tosser. Are we allowed to use that word? Yep. Yeah. You can use whatever. We've had some really interesting language on the podcast, so whatever word, no restrictions. Yeah, good. So don't be a tosser. Yeah. Yeah, that's your takeaway from today. Yeah. (laughs) So you you share a a whole range of tips in terms of uh, uh, how to share your story. And there's, there's one in particular which which really uh, stood out for me. It's actually the first one. Yeah. Uh, which is this idea of owning your story. Yeah. Yeah. So mm. Can you share a little bit more about how people maybe could unpack or understand their own story a little more yeah. as a leader? Yeah. I, so, I mean, there's real purpose to this as well. You know, we know that storytelling is a way of people connecting with each other. And also it's a way for us to build rapport and trust really, really quickly. 
So when we own our story, it allows us to be seen as a human, a whole person, and also to share vulnerabilities and to share with others what we value. And also it removes some of the noise, you know. So sometimes we get very fixated on how we want to present ourselves to others as opposed to just who we really are. So there's a nice obvious link there, isn't there, with authenticity? Totally. You know, when I own my story and I can, in a few sentences, say, you know, this is where I came from and, and this is where I am now, and aspirationally also this is who I'd like to be, I'm giving people permission to step into that with me and also to share their story. So this is a big one for me. You know, I, I think we... There's a lot of missed opportunities by not having those types of conversations with people. And what, what do you think the value is to an organisation if it had a whole series or suite of leaders who made that decision to own their story? Yeah, yeah. So, we, this, I mean, that's core to the work that we do. So we see evidence of this all the time. Yeah. And the really obvious things that come out is when you have a culture that says our leaders know how to tell their own story... Uh, when they, it means that they've done the work on themselves, so they're more self-aware, they're more emotionally intelligent. We know that your ability to manage emotions of yourself and others is more important than being IQ smart. They also move their, their kind of thinking around um, what's uncomfortable. So when you've had to take a really good hard look at yourself and go, ooh, that hurts a bit or... I don't really like that or I need to clean up some of that mess or I'm super proud of these things. When you've done that work, having a courageous conversation and, you know, delivering some meaningful feedback to someone kind of feels less scary, you know, because I've done it with myself. I think really successful people are great at creating that time and space to work on themselves. And another really big thing, Julian, is that, when you know your own story and you take that time to work on you, you get that everybody has a story and you find yourself starting to ask different questions. You know, you listen differently, whether it's with your customers or with your people. You kind of go, wow, I wonder what's behind this. Like, why do they have those beliefs? Are those beliefs even theirs? It might just be the beliefs of their parents, you know, from when they grew up. Do I really understand what's motivating their behaviour? Maybe I need to dig a bit deeper to really understand my people. So it's quite a shift when people learn how to tell and own their own story. And I'd imagine that they'd be just by default, they'd become better leaders and their people would want to do more for them. There'd be a higher level of discretionary effort and all those metrics that we look at. Yeah, 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 absolutely. You made it sound really clever. <laughs> <laughs> I know yeah, just, that, yeah. just, just what Julian said. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I want to I want to read a little excerpt from your book. Hmm, I think nice. it's always a, a nice little thing to do, and it actually touches on the point where you're talking about um, self awareness. So self awareness is a key component of emotional intelligence, which is a much greater indicator of success than intellectual intelligence. Do this work on you, and you'll have the best chance at building the life you want. Daniel Goleman's findings and other research since indicate that emotional intelligence contributes 80 to 90% of the competencies that distinguish outstanding leaders 
from average leaders. Think on that. Mm. Let's think on that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty powerful <laughs> It's thing. a big statement, isn't it? It is. Mm. Mm. It That's is. what we're here for today, the big statements. The big statements. The big yeah. ones, yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, I've been consulting for a long time and there's there's something that's pretty obvious that, you know, 10 years ago when we were looking at placing someone in a role, we assessed the life out of their IQ. You know, we wanted to know how smart they were and what part of their brain they used and how quickly they could get to logic to get results, you know. And it's really, it's a totally different trend right now that we're seeing that's really, I think, in the last three years been quite polarising in terms of how we look at leadership that what we want to know is how emotionally intelligent they are. You know, it doesn't matter how IQ smart you are, how intelligent you are if you leave bodies on the side of the road and can't do relationships. Mm. And, you know, at its core, I believe that leadership is about achieving success through your people. You know, so if you don't have the emotional awareness, well, actually, let's just define what we mean by emotional intelligence. In its most simplest form, it's the ability to manage the emotions of myself and those of others. So, therefore, that means I can do conflict. You know, I can do um, someone feeling really vulnerable. It, it means that I have an intuition around how to build trust with someone really quickly. It means that I'm aware if I prod someone a bit too hard that I may have jeopardised or undermined something in that relationship and therefore I'll do something about it and be responsible for that. You know, so it, it's a real um, asset to have leaders in your business who A, can tell their story, can do it in a way that's really emotionally intelligent and can then link that with the vision of wherever the business is going. It's when you put all of that together, I think, that you can start to see magic. Mm, absolutely. Mm. I think we're finding a similar thing that when people invest in the, you know, some sort of development in terms of people's AI, I think it uh, really starts to show and starts to play out and people start to see it and just start to, look at their counterparts even just a little differently. So even mm. the peer relationships change. Mm. It's pretty yeah. powerful. It is. And it, I think it's how it's meant to be. Mm. You know, that's not really a technical answer, isn't it? But you kind of go, we've all got so much stuff that we're managing. You know, no one just turns up to work nine till five to just do that job. You know, mm. we've got other things and children and families and health and hobbies and passions and you know, side hustles and all kinds of things happening, you know, we want to be able to have meaningful conversations with people. Yeah. Yeah. Good reading, by the way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you talk about this idea of, of sabotage mm. and, and self-sabotage. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, you know, I've done quite a few sort of personal development type things in my life and they talk often about, you know, the, the, the things that we do to sabotage our own success. Yes. So you give 15 here, yeah. which is a lot. <laughs> which one jumped out at you? So the one that uh, actually jumped out at me is, is number four, which is listening to the devil on the shoulder. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so who's this little devil? Is yeah. it like Homer Simpson in yeah. that, in that <laughs> yeah. where he's got the devil and the angel on each side? Yeah. Well, we do have the – so yours might be Homer or it might be, you know, it might be someone else or something else. Sometimes it's the voice of – an undermining parent. It can be the voice of a previous leader you had. 
you know, it can be your own voice. Mm. Sometimes the work is actually in working out whose it is. I think we all have that devil that sits on the shoulder that tells us we can't do it or that we're not smart enough or we're not good enough or we don't have the right skills or, you know, it's not the right time. Who are you to think that you would be, you know, incredible, brave or courageous enough to set up a business or, you know, and and there's some purpose in that, you know, it's there to keep us safe sometimes, but it's not having the awareness you know, that can be the bit that's dangerous. So Mm. if you can hear the voice and go, okay, well, I'm going to ignore that because that doesn't serve the future version of me, then it's okay. But it's when we, that loud, that voice is louder than the angel, the advocate, the ambassador on the other side, that's screaming out at us to go for it, you know? So I always have, you know, conversations with clients to say, which voice is louder? Mm. Mm. And what do they often say? It's often the devil. Okay. It's all, it, again, it's a bit circumstantial. You know, it's it's always really interesting to me that it doesn't matter how successful people are, we all have our stuff. Yeah. We really do. We all have our stuff that we worry about. There's often lots of responsibilities that people feel. You know, particularly if they're the main breadwinner for the family. You know, do I really get to indulge in a startup business if, you know, I've got school fees to pay? I don't have a right to think about that right now. You know, so I think most of us have that, you know, at certain times. Hmm. Hmm. Which, which leads me into this. And I, I really like this because it's a, it's a word that uh, for those of the listeners that have been through my program, you know that I use a lot. And the statement is, don't be afraid of your awesomeness. Oh, in your book. Yeah. I really resonated with that. So when you mm. say that, mm. what do you mean? Yeah, so I I just meet the most spectacular people. You know, there's I, I rarely meet people who are boring and annoying <laughs> and, you know, well, there's a few, but, you know, mostly people are spectacular or have the potential to be. Yeah. You know, most people don't wake up in the morning going, Oh, that's it. I'm going to be so mediocre today and I want to aggravate people and hopefully I can make someone cry, you know, like mostly people wake up and they want to do a good job. And I I find that there, we touched on this earlier with that thing about diminishing ourselves. And, you know, when I say to people, if I gave you permission to say, when you are at your most awesome, what are you capable of? When you are in flow and when your confidence is strong, what what would you do in the world, you know? So I generally believe, and there's some research to support this, you know, that uh, the average person leaves 60% of their potential at home. Oh, that hurts, doesn't That's it? That's a lot. It's a lot, isn't That's it? That's a lot. And, you know, and... I don't mean for that to sound, you know, patronising or disrespectful because I think a lot of that can be because people are going to work to work really hard. They've got to-do lists, they've got targets to hit. It doesn't mean that they're not even high-performing in their role. You know, they might be doing a great job, but that is not the same as using your potential. Mm. You know, what are the ideas you have that never get a voice? What are the thoughts that you have? What are the questions you could ask that people don't know the answers to? You know, we are all capable of more than we actually get to do and share. And 60% is a big number. So 
you know, I think that's a really, I, I put that in the category of just being playful. If you're just being playful and creative and thinking about you being awesome, what would you be doing? It's an interesting question for yeah. listeners to think about. Yeah. <laughs> you look like you're thinking too. Yeah, I'm always it, yeah, yeah, always thinking. Yeah. So it's an interesting structure that you, you have to the book because I'm kind of, I'm moving into a section that you call the thought provokers. Yes. And there's a couple here that I that I've that I've chosen, which I think is is I'd like to explore a little. The first one is this idea of motivation versus commitment. Oh, I'm so excited you're asking about this. So talk yeah. to me about motivation versus commitment. Yeah. So I don't know. Do you put yourself in the category of self help, the self help <laughs> industry? It's kind of a gross word, isn't it? I've never considered us self help. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe. Me- I, I don't I don't like to put myself there and sometimes people do you know they'll they'll ring and ask for a motivational speaker can you yeah. come and motivate our people yeah. and I just go just excuse me while I stab myself in the eye <laughs> um, because motivation is it's not a real thing mm. you know it's not a real thing people don't succeed because they're motivated mm. you know motivation is it's a feeling. It can support a particular type of mindset, but normally that's quite short term. When I think about the people who I know who've been really successful, the reason they are is because they're committed. You know, it's it's the things that you're committed to, the habits, the attitudes, the learning, the routines, the way that you go about life every day that creates success, you know. I, I always say on Mondays I'm so motivated to be sugar-free for the week <laughs> and, you know, to go out and walk 10K every morning. Like my motivation's so high and by Wednesday afternoon I'm eating a muffin, yeah. you know. So what does motivation matter if I'm not committed, if I don't have specific goals, if I don't have non-negotiables about how my days work and what I do to achieve success? then you tend to not get there. Yeah. It's the discipline of staying the path. Oh, that's the word, the discipline. Yeah, Mm. exactly. Exactly. So the motivation bit, I kind of go, "Mm, let's not waste energy talking about that too much. You know, when when clients come into coaching and they go, I really want to lift my motivation, you know, (laughs) I go, okay, well, good, but let's do that in a way that's strategic and practical. Mm. And um, I actually, can I tell you a quick story? Please do. So I know this man and um, his, let, let's call him Daryl because that's his name. Daryl, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know Darryl, who you are. Daryl, you know who you are. And I remember Daryl telling me in a coaching session, and I have his permission. Actually, I mentioned him in the book, so I do have his permission to share this. And he told me he was going to do a triathlon. And I went, that's awesome. That's amazing. Uh, Tell me about that. And he said, well, you know, I know that it will require discipline and lots of work and and I don't actually know how to swim. So, (laughs) and I just looked at him and went, I beg your pardon. Uh, And he said, I'm going to teach myself to swim. I'm going to go out into the bay around Melbourne and just, you know, and I went, as you do, of course, of course, you would teach yourself to swim. And it required so much work, and I think he's now on his fourth or fifth, and he never, ever talked to me about being motivated. You know, he would come into coaching and talk to me about his commitments for the next two weeks. 
this is what I'm committed to every day. This is what my plan looks like, rain, hail or shine. These are the non-negotiables that I know I need to deliver on to be able to run that triathlon and cycle and do all those other crazy things they do. Um, this is what's required. And I, I think it's a good example, you know, are you prepared to do what's required yeah. to achieve the best awesome version of you? Yeah. And motivation doesn't really play a part in that. That was a very long answer to your question. It's a good answer. Good, it's okay. A, it's a good answer. Thank because you. Because I, think it, <laughs> I think it highlights that being motivated is not enough. Yeah. Because it's not motivation is not going to get you there. It's the actions that you take. And if you're not committed to those actions, if you don't have the discipline to follow through on those actions consistently, you'll never get to wherever it is that you want to get to. Yeah, I agree. Mm. I agree. And it's not enough to just want to be awesome or to think yeah. about it, is yeah, it? Yeah. You know, just, I just feel awesome, I just, therefore I am. <laughs> can you just tell me I am awesome and that's enough? You know, yeah. it, you've, you've got to have the plan and do the work. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So another one of these uh, thought provokers was an interesting one. Resilience over happiness. Oh, stop it. Oh, come on. I know, so controversial. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> Talk to me about that. Yeah, so it took me a while to get this, and this is, this is a bit of a personal one for me actually, that when I found myself quite suddenly the single mom of three small children and knowing I didn't really have a home and needed to create financial stability quite quickly and... I had got married really young and I had a lot of work to kind of do on myself to work out what life now looks like, you know, who am I without that and you get these new gross labels that you don't really want to wear like divorced, you know, everyone, no one wants to be a friend because of that, you know, <laughs> and so it took me a while to get that, you know, the place I started in was how do I be happy now? what do I need to be happy? You know, do I need to meet a new man? Do I need to have a successful business? How can I be happy? What's my new version of happiness going to be? And I felt like I woke up one day quite literally and went, what a waste of energy. You know, I am in the situation I'm in and, you know, bad things happen to good people and I don't ever want to be a victim. And I will not be that woman who is an angry, bitter ex-wife or how do I maximise, leverage everything I've ever learnt and done and experienced to now be an amazing mum and to create a business? You know, that was when I first heard the inner entrepreneur in my head going, you know, the safe option is to go and get a job, but you know, is this the time to be the best, bravest version of you? And so I got really consumed in a what I hope is a healthy way about this concept of just being resilient. I'm going to, even though right now I have lots of uncertainty and change, I'm going to do more of that. I'm going to get really uncomfortable and I'm going to take risks and I'm going to build my muscle memory in what it takes to be really strong. And I'm going to build my resilience so that I'm not in a position again where I feel like the whole world's fallen apart. You know, I'm going to deliberately get resilient. And that meant that I picked up the phone to call clients who had no idea who I was and... I tried a whole lot of firsts, you know, let me tell you, going on your first date at, you know, oh gosh, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> um, you know, it takes resilience and 
I'm just going to trust that if I am strong and I am resilient and I trust that I can take whatever challenges come my way, the happiness will come. You know, happiness is an outcome rather than something that is my everyday plan. You know, I don't talk to my children over dinner about, you know, how will we have a happy holiday? How will we be happy tomorrow? I go, tell me about the worst thing that happened to you today so that we can have a conversation about the good things that happen as a result of something that was hard or not very nice. And I also say, you know, tell me about the best thing that happened to you today because sometimes the best thing that happened is a result of a challenge that you stepped into or so I have a really strong personal view that when we trust ourselves and when we're brave and when we get deliberately uncomfortable we become more capable and we attract different things you know there's I've met the most amazing people and have been trusted by the most incredible clients if someone had said to me nine years ago I know right now you don't have much except three beautiful, healthy children, but in nine years' time, you'll have a global consulting business, you'll be talking to Julian about a book, and you will have lived in Italy. You know, I I really wouldn't have believed that. Mm. You know, that would have been a ridiculous thing to say to me. Mm. So I do talk to my clients about what, what, what would the resilient version of you do in this situation? Not, well, how are you going to be happy? How do they respond when you first introduce this idea to them? People don't like it, (laughs) (laughs) which I quite enjoy. Is that naughty? I quite enjoy it. It's And and not everyone, you know, even the people listening to to this podcast, not everyone will agree, you know. I mean, it's it's not like I don't want to be happy. I just focus on the situation I'm in and being the best version of me and... And I, I feel like I have this really amazing, blessed, pretty happy life. Yeah. You know, it's a pretty, it's a big adventure that I'm on. So people will say to me, you are so happy. Lisa, every time I see you, you're happy and you always have so much energy and, you know, and they go, how do you do that? And it's not, a, it's, I don't ever sit around going, how can I create a happier life? I don't do that. I don't know. Do you, you don't look convinced. No, I'm convinced. I'm convinced. <laughs> I, what do you think? No, I actually, I, I stay very much focused on what I need to achieve because I know that if I have to achieve certain things, yep. that's going to bring whatever the happiness is in whichever area I'm looking to achieve. Right. Whether it be business or personal or whatever, but I certainly uh, look for experiences as opposed to you know, sitting down thinking, how am I be happy? It's, yes. not, it's not something which I consciously think about because I'm a very driven individual. Yes. So it uh, yeah. tends to be a consequence as opposed to the, the, the purpose. Yeah. So I think there's lots of people like us. They might use different language though. You know, mm-hmm. I call it resilience over happiness. But I think there's lots of people who think about that in different ways. You know, yeah. they might call it their plan or um, they, it might be about a particular vision they have. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, on, on this note as well, I think it's, it's really important that we, we do value where we are, mm. you know, it's so nice to have the vision and to deliberately and proactively look for opportunities to grow ourselves and, but also sometimes just to breathe and stop and go, 
you know, it's kind of nice where I am too, yeah. you know? Yeah. And yeah. That, that, that is actually one of the challenges with highly driven people <laughs> is that they never stop. I feel yeah. like you need to say that in a bigger way. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a big challenge, isn't it? It, it is yeah. because, you know, you achieve whatever it is you're seeking to achieve and straight away you're not actually enjoying it. You're thinking about the next step, the next yeah. step, the next step. Yeah, it's always when I get there, when yeah. I get there. Yes. You know, uh, yeah, I think that's really valid. We, the high-performing people in the world, are not always great at stopping to acknowledge, what you know, where they are and what they've done. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. curious about this one. My job is what I do, not who I am. Yeah. <laughs> your face it, just so everyone knows he's got the book he's got the book out and he's got all the you know highlighter pen scribbles and everything happening um i love that you've actually read it because sometimes you do podcasts with people who haven't my job is who i am no no read it again my job is not who i am it's my, what i do right my job is what i do not, not who, who I, I am and i I feel quite strongly about this, that when you tie up all your success in your job, it's going to bite you at some point because we are a whole person. So if you suddenly find yourself, you know, as part of a restructure or redundancy, um, you know, well, then what? I think it's so important that we understand our job is one thing that we do. It is not our whole self. We are also, you know, I am a mum and a cousin and a friend and a hippie wannabe and an entrepreneur and, you know, Aperol spritz lover and there's a whole lot of different things that need to be fed for me to feel complete. That's why the incense was going when I walked in. Yeah, the totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, inner, the inner hippie, you know, the little girl who grew up on the beach in Queensland, you know. I, lo I love that whole kind of getting grounded and... So it's, it's my job should not define me as a person. You know, ask me about who I am, not what I do. You know, that's how I write about it in the book. And that can be really powerful for people. And, again, there might be people who listen to this who disagree. You know, mm. they're in a, in a point in time where their role or the business they're creating or the type of leader that they want to be is very all-consuming and they're very focused on that and, well, great, you know, uh, if you're doing that consciously. But if that's all you have for a sustained period of time, at some point you're going to hit empty. Mm. You know, my job is just something that I do and I'm really serious about it, uh, but I'm not serious about myself, mm. you know. I don't know. What do you yeah. think? Well, you've actually a random question, which I wasn't planning to do, but yeah. something you just said, and I probably should have asked it earlier. Who have you, did you have anyone in mind when you were writing this book? I did. I did. So I want to say it really broadly so that anyone feels they can buy the book. But, <laughs> <laughs> so can I give two answers? Sure. No, let, let, let me give you the truthful answer, which is, you know, I, I've had this really amazing life and some of it's been a bit hard and a bit traumatic and some of it's just been incredible and surprising and I wrote the book because, you know, nine years ago, I thought I had pretty much the perfect life, you know, not perfect as in rich and, you know, but perfect as in I was married to the man I thought I'd spend the rest of my life with. We had a nice home, had a little holiday house. 
um, a nice car. I had three really healthy children. We were planning a trip to Africa, you know, and I really appreciated my life. It was, it was a really blessed life. And then that was all gone overnight. You know, he literally decided that he was not going to be a dad or husband anymore. And, and this is the book I wish I could have picked up. You know, this is the book that I just spent hours trying to read things and, you know, I would listen and read anything I could get my hands on and I tried to connect in with, you know, various speakers and mentors and and I just struggled to find something that was really simple that outlined all of the things that I should think about because when you're in lots of change, it's quite overwhelming. Mm. And so I wanted to write a book that was nurturing and and guided, but mostly is really practical and truthful. You know, in 20 years of working and in my own story, these are the things that I think we all need to think about and work on and get in place. So it was pretty specific that, you know, if anyone is about to change something significant in their life, read this book first. Mm. You know, if you're about to start up a business, leave a relationship, start studying, go on a massive health kick, you know, these are all of the things that will set you up for success. Mm. Okay. So it is quite broad in terms of anyone <laughs> should be buying going yeah. to buy the book. It is, it is. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, just for entrepreneurs or yeah. just for people in the corporate world. You know, I've had really beautiful feedback from, you know, people who um, are struggling with teenagers who read it, you mm. know, and people who are starting up a new business, people that are in leadership roles that are really challenging, you know, yeah. where they want to work out what that story is and have they got their brand right. So it is, it does kind of do a bit of an audit of now and help you work out your plan going forward. Okay. Mm, thanks for asking. No, it's a, mm. I don't know why I didn't think of it at the start, but it's <laughs> good. <laughs> so I want to leave the, the thought provokers uh, part of the book behind and move into this idea about giving people some strategies for a successful life yeah. because I, I, I think that's really relevant. And the first one that stuck out to me was this idea of change your mind. Yeah. And I'm thinking, okay, talk to me a little bit about change your mind. How is that yeah. strategy? Yeah, I I just find that, you know, we're so habitual as as grown-ups. Does that sound boring? No, it's kind true. Of, it's true, isn't it? Yeah. I'm not boring. You're not boring. Well, we try not to be. My, we should. I should check with my children. But we, you know, we spend so much time doing a lot of sameness and we have lots of habits about how we react to things. The, the, the coping strategies that we have in place might have been there since we were four years old, you know. So I think there's something really, really critical to success in your ability to adapt and flex your own thinking. Mm. You know, why do you think you're right? And we get very attached as adults to what I call three things. One is I'm meant to know. I'm meant to know. I'm meant to have credibility. I'm meant to be adding value. I'm meant to know the answers. We think we're meant to look good, you know. So I'm meant to know. I'm meant to look good while I'm doing it and I'm meant to be right, you know. And so when we let go of all of that and say I have the capacity and emotional intelligence 
to change my mind about stuff. I can consider a different perspective. I can openly look at different evidence and I can sit in someone else's shoes. That's significant. And I, a lot of people are not good at that. I have to work on that. Mm. You know, we get very anchored in how things are meant to be, you know, because it, it keeps us safe and it makes sense and we're busy and we've got a lot to do and, you know, but what is possible when we really can change our mind about stuff? Yeah. Well, I think that's embedded in us from a very, very young age where you have to go to school, you have to get good marks, you have to go to uni, you have yeah. to get a good job, you have to find a right partner for you, you have to own a house, you have to have the children, you have to have the dogs, you have to do the one holiday year and then you retire. Yes. Life. And you don't... <laughs> Now, now, just hang on, everyone. Don't get too depressed. <laughs> it is like that, isn't yeah. it? It, it, it? It can feel quite, you know, scripted and planned and and also things can come in where, you know, things can be harder than we thought and then all of a sudden we're living a life where we go, this was not really what I planned or, you know, we just have to look at the average midlife crisis, you know, yeah. that men and women have and go, oh, gosh, you know, how did I end up here? And actually, I'm really bored. And so can I give you some research that I think is really interesting? Absolutely. So technically, 95% of what we think tomorrow, we will think again, of what we think today, we will think again tomorrow. That's how habitual we are. Right, okay. Right, so we have about 60,000 conscious thoughts in a day, except you and I because we're really smart so we have more sometimes I say that to audiences and you see their face go is that all I feel like I think a lot more than that uh and then you'll have people go oh really wow I, I thought it would be more like 10,000 and it's like okay they probably need a bit more on their job but we're having about 60,000 thoughts a day and 95% of those are habitual yeah. you know so and I remember reading this and thinking oh, well, that doesn't apply to me because I'm clearly dynamic, fascinating, I read a lot, you know, I'm on planes, I travel all the time, I have different clients. But the reality, <laughs> the reality is it is absolutely the same. You know, I go to Qantas Club and I sit in that little section because I can see the planes, you know, and I check in my bags and I get there this time and I have spaghetti bolognese on Tuesday nights with the kids and Friday nights we go to our favourite Italian restaurant for pizza and, you know, we are very habitual. So if we don't deliberately look for ways to have different and new ways of thinking about things, yeah. what do we miss out on? Yeah. And then that, that's why diversity is such an important component mm -hmm. of leadership because, and I think diversity is far more than, than just what, what a lot of people are focusing on at the moment, which is gender. I think it's far yeah, more than that. I agree. It's that diversity of thought. So Absolutely. meeting those different people who challenge you and you then think, I thought of it like that. Yeah. And even if you don't agree, at least you're thinking about uh, it. Ah, well to have, you know, I, I, a great question to kind of reinforce what you just said is, you know, when was the last time you had a brand new thought about something? Mm. You know, when did you last have someone sitting in your team meeting who asked a question that no one knew the answer to? Yeah. You know, what, what that whole concept of the white space thinking, you know, we're going to sit here collectively and we're going to give it 10 minutes and you are only allowed to talk if you've got something brand new to say. 
And then you start to create a culture where people start planning and deliberately looking for new ideas and thoughts that they have and bringing them to the table. So the whole concept of, you know, change your mind, I think that one thing has the ability to change how teams work together, you know, how we think about vision and the types of conversations we have and the opportunities that we can identify. Mm. Mm. 95% the same. So now I'll be driving yeah, home. Do right. I have this thought yesterday? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, uh, just so everyone can get a visual, apparently we even shower in the same way. Do I know. We? See, now you have to think about now that, right? Think, yeah. So you get in the shower that way. Do you go front or back, for, back first into the water? And then you get the soap and, you know, then you wash your head, like whatever else you do in the shower. That's <laughs> private, right? Let's not go too far. But uh, but it's true. Even yeah. the way we shower, the way we brush our teeth, yeah. you know, like we apparently we start our brushing our teeth in the same position. So now that we know how boring we all are, tomorrow <laughs> we need to deliberately kind of mix it up, mix it up and look, drive to work a different way, you know, brush your teeth with a different hand. Mm. It, it, it's a bit funny, but, you know, it's really valid mm. in, in terms of how we use our brain. Try writing with your opposite hand and... You know, I work with leaders who do do things like that just to, you know, stretch themselves and, yeah. you know, have your team only work with their with their left hand for a day and, you know. I know, imagine how much less would get done because we'd get so frustrated but have the experience, Yeah. you know. Yeah. Mm. Something to think about there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The big ideas right here today <laughs> with you. Ideas. Yeah. Another big idea is this idea of finding your tribe. Oh, I'm fascinated yeah. by that idea. Yeah, yeah. And this term is used a lot, I think, in that we think of our tribe as being the people who've got us covered, you know, our family and friends. And when I talk about finding your tribe, I'm not talking about that. Okay. I am. I think your tribe should be quite strategic. Your tribe should be the people who have an agenda for you to be the best version of you. So your tribe are the people that are required for you to be your highest performing self. So if you think about an elite athlete, for example, they have a strength and conditioning coach, a masseur, a psychologist, a coach, their training buddy, their coach, mm. um, a strength and conditioning person, did I say that? You know, like they have all of those people around them. Uh, they might have a mentor who's excelled yeah. in that sport, you know, and so I don't know about you, but I'm not an elite athlete um, and we don't... <laughs> I have visions of being that I think yeah. I reconcile that I won't be. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually comfortable with not being that. Um, but how do people like you and I, you know, in business or people who are leading teams or people who are just wanting to tap into that potential that we talked about earlier, how do we find a way to make sure that we are surrounding ourselves with the people who can help us get there? So it's it's really important to have someone who's going to tell you the truth, someone who will hold you accountable, someone who knows more than you, you know, who can really prod you and stretch you. You also need people who will really just be your cheerleaders, you know, the people who tell you that you are capable of more than you know and, of course, you can make that idea work. You know, so when I say 
get your tribe, I mean deliberately set them up, ask them, put an agreement in place, you know, this is what I need from you and get those people all together, you know, once every 12 weeks, put them around a table and have them all invest in a conversation about you and how you're doing. Like give yourself the gift of people giving back to you. And what's really, really nice is the flip side of this, you know, do that for others. You know, it's joyful to be in someone else's tribe and to give to them and play a role in, you know, quietly in the background contributing. This is not about money and, you know, contracts. It's really nice to do that for people in the business community. Absolutely. It's it's one of the biggest uh, satisfactions I have in my role as a mentor is when they're successful. Yeah. And it's just knowing, you know, that small, tiny little part of just being there. Yeah. Uh, is very rewarding and very fulfilling. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. That's nice. It's nice that you do that. I think for people who are full, you know, mm. feeling like the schedule's quite full, it's one of those things that can drop to the side. So yeah. it's it's a nice integrity piece, I think, to think mm. about how we are giving to others. Yeah. 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 Another strategy you had here is this idea of knowing your superpowers. Oh, yes. So what are your mm. superpowers? Mm. Mm. One is drinking water. <laughs> Excuse the slurping. Uh, so, okay. So, well, for, so let me define, you know, this the superpower concept. Uh, I think the easiest way to think about this is if you've got a room full of a hundred people, what's something that you can do, and maybe only one or two other people can do. You know, what are you exceptional at? I think exceptional is a great word. And so your question, you know, what is my, what are my superpowers? Because I think Mm. we have more than one. Uh, Is my ability to connect with people really quickly. You know, if you put me in a room, I know that I am good at building a sense of trust and connectedness with people really quickly. And, And, you know, that's natural for me because I actually love meeting people I'm so interested in everyone, you know, when I walk into a room or I'm that really annoying person next to you on the plane, he says, hi, (laughs) Uh what do you do? (laughs) If I ever see you getting on a flight, I'll know why you've asked to move. (laughs) (laughs) I'm virgin, you're conscious. So So it probably won't happen. But, you know, I think people, people get that, you know, that I'm genuinely interested in you and what you do and your story and... So I, I regularly get feedback from people that they felt comfortable straight away. And, and of course, that's a real asset in my business. Um, and I also, I, I am really intuitive, you know. So I, and I, again, that comes from feedback, but it's also something I know about myself and that I have very deliberately honed. You know, I spend a lot of time just sitting and being with people and, over years, and I mean, I don't even know how many hundreds and hundreds of hours I have spent coaching. You know, I did six hours of it this morning. It's part of my job to be good at that. And it's also something I'm really passionate about to just listen and know what it is I need to ask someone. Mm. You know, what is it? As soon as someone sits in front of me, I'll really listen to that that feeling I have about how they're doing. Okay. You know, so... Uh, there's others as well. I'm so funny. I'm really funny. 
you actually mentioned that in, at the at the very start of your book yeah. in the, the how to use section. Yeah, uh, that's right. Please laugh at my jokes yeah. because I think I'm funny. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's not a superpower when, when you tell people that they should laugh at your jokes or that yeah. you want them to. I'm pretty sure that's not a superpower. But yeah, I I th- I think this is the leveraging piece again. Yep. You know, making sure that you. You know what you're good at and what you bring to the room and be able to tell people that, you know. So I think it's really nice. I don't know why it's three, but I think if you have identified three superpowers, it gives you, you know, two or three sentences for that elevator pitch when you meet that person, you know, that you think is awesome and you quickly want to get across what your strengths are or so just know your superpowers and bring them to the room And the other reason I write about that is because it's a really nice accountability system, you know. So if I know that part of my brand, which is is my superpowers coming together, is that I'm the trusted advisor, you know, people will come to me to either share something with me because I'm a great secret keeper and I'll ask them a couple of questions to clarify their thinking, you know, or because they want my view on something. And so when we do, when we know what that is, we can also tell people, you know, so we can make it part of our brand and, and that's a basic influencing strategy, right? Yeah, absolutely. Sit in front of someone and say, I will be a trusted advisor to your business, mm. you know, mm. strategic. Absolutely. Mm. You mentioned thinking. Um, I'm really like this point, solution-focused thinking. Mm. It's a slight twist on the phrase I use, which is solution-based thinking. Yes, uh, yeah. But the same principle, I think. Yeah, So yeah. talk to me a little bit about why you think that's such an important strategy yeah. for people being successful. Well, because life is hard and annoying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, so much stuff just goes wrong yeah. and is challenging and and it's easy to be awesome when it's all working. You know, it's easy to be the great leader and to be the person who is getting great results when things are all lined up, you know. So when it's when it's hard that we get tested and when we're challenged and are you the person who makes it hard and it feels hard or naturally looks for the solution, you know. So when we, when we have a mindset that is naturally geared towards, well, what's a better way how do we make this work? How do we make it go away? Who else do we need to involve and talk to? When I have a mindset that says there will be a solution and we will collaborate and work together to identify what that is, it's so much lighter for people to be around. And of course, the reality is you're expecting to find one, so you probably will, you know? So it's 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 a simple one really, isn't it? Mm. But it's not easy to be good at. No, because what we find is a lot of businesses spend or leaders spend so much time thinking about the problem and analysing the problem and spend all their time there. We'll just understand it and move on to what the solution might be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can get stuck and we don't want to waste budgets or Mm. get things wrong and or let people down. So we know why people spend so much time on it. But... You know, I agree in my experience, you know, it's the person in the room who says, they don't have to know what the solution is, by the way. Mm. You know, it's just about asking good questions Mm. and being provocative and having an optimism that will find a way. Yeah. 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 
Do you working your way through the book? Oh, look, I, I, I think this is... Actually, a... we should probably stop because people won't have any need to buy <laughs> Leslie, the publisher won't be happy. No, no, I've, no. No, I've skipped some, I've skipped some magic, so you <laughs> need to go and buy it to get the magic. I'm, I'm interested in this idea of the, the 10 life must-haves. Yes. So you've got yours here. Yes. Which is interesting reading, so I'm not going to give it away. <laughs> How to, what, talk to me about these must-haves and, and, and why they're so important in people's lives. Yeah, so I just think we're generally not great at looking after ourselves. You know, particularly people who are mm, high, you can be high-performing and not be successful in all of that. You know, you can have mm. the good big job and the nice house and, you know, all of that. But I don't know, I worry at the moment that we've never had more access to information and inspiration than we have right now. Mm. We have everything at our fingertips. We have high-quality food in this country. We have amazing leaders and, you know, access to people with all kinds of expertise, and yet we have the highest rates of depression, self-harm, um, you know, just so it just it bothers me. You know, it makes me feel a bit sad that we have issues with things like suicide. And so, part of writing this book was how do we take care of ourselves? You know, how do we make ourselves really matter? And how is looking after ourselves an essential ingredient to being successful? You know, someone uh, said to me once that we we so want quick fixes, you know, and we want things to be easy and we want results now and it's just a bit unrealistic, you know. There's work to do and things are hard and life is just heartbreaking sometimes. Mm. So what are the strategies and habits we should have in place every day, hopefully before those hard times come, that really allow us to look after ourselves. So to me, this this was important. You know, what are the things we must have in our life to make ourselves number one sometimes? You know, and that's that's kind of I don't I don't want that to sound too soft either because I don't think this is about you know just visuals of people meditating. You know, this is about saying we know that there is a physical impact that allows our brain to work better when our blood pressure is low and we feel rested. Mm. You know, we know our productivity is higher when we've slept well. Mm. So what do you do to ensure that you're investing in your well-being? Mm. What do you, what was one that I said that you liked or that you do you have any that are the same? Uh, well, I I miss number 7 in yours, which was patting dogs because uh, I'm a big dog person, but I don't have any just yet. Right. So I might have to come pat your dog. Yeah, you can. Uh, yeah. yeah, but it was an interesting idea because I think that a lot of them are very simple in themselves, that mm. they're not some big thing that someone has to do there. It's actually appreciating the little things. Yes. And I think that's something which a lot of people are not doing at the moment. And it doesn't matter whether they're a leader who is feeling the pressure mm-hmm. uh, from senior management or it doesn't matter whether it's a business owner that's feeling the pressure of cash flow. There's a lot of pressure right now and just in general. Yeah. And and I think a lot of people are, are really feeling it. 
I don't think a lot of people actually know how to deal with it. Yeah. And that's why I like this idea of, you know, just taking these. And there was a dog there. Yes, Hopefully you heard you it. You can go and pat the dog. <laughs> yeah. But I think I'm hoping that a lot of people are, or people take away this idea of just focus on a couple of those little things that make them feel really good. And whether it be, you know, patting your dog or watching your Netflix or whatever it is. Yeah. Try to build that little bit of time in each day. Yeah. I think it's, it's a really critical ingredient and, you know, part of being the best version of ourselves is, you know, we, we've talked a lot about, you know, high performance and the best version of you. And, you know, the flip side of that is what's required is sometimes stillness and doing nothing, mm. you know, just being able to be or have no plans or, you know, escapism, whether that's, you know, yeah. Netflix or, or you might have a different version of that. But there's, there's, I just feel like this. you should have non-negotiables in place so that when it is hard, you're not going, oh, I know I should take some time out, but I've got so much to do. If it's part of your habits now, you're setting yourself up down the track to mm. do well. Mm. You know, we all get our turn with the crappy bits, don't we? That's Absolutely. annoying. Absolutely. Mm. Mm. So one last question for you. Oh. This is the last one. Last one. Okay. And it's this idea about building momentum. And the reason I wanted to finish on this is I think it's really important that uh, wherever you're at in your leadership uh, career, that you understand where you're at. If you are ambitious, think about how you're going to get there and what's mm. next for you. And I think the momentum flows naturally from that. Yes, yeah. So how do we how do we build momentum? Yeah, yeah. So there's lots of ways to do that. I, I think the simple one is, you know, do something small each day. Yep. You know, if, if you're looking for the next role, the next promotion, you know, don't get overwhelmed by brand and networking and, you know, do one small thing each day to create some energy around it. You know, so all I'm going to do today is make one phone call to someone, you know, break it down. I also think that with momentum, there's something about acknowledging what you're doing well, you know, so... I always recommend journaling as part of keeping the momentum going. So each night, write down what you did well today, what you didn't do so well today, and your intention for tomorrow. Be really clear about your intention for tomorrow. So I find I will often do that in the car before, you know, when I get home, before I walk in the door to kids and that kind of thing, just so that I've closed out that circle around my day and I've acknowledged, because we've talked about how self-critical we can be, you know, make yourself acknowledge something that you did do well so that you're looking for that evidence each day. What's something I needed to do better or wish I could done better, could have done better, and then I know it's out on paper. It might just be a word. You know, you might do all of this in, in 30 seconds. Sometimes it takes longer. And what is my intention for tomorrow? You know, what is it that I know I need to do? And that can help me to let go of some stuff that's creating noise and getting in my way or might sabotage me, but also makes me take some time to get clear about what it is that I want to create rather than just waking up to the alarm clock, you know, and then I have it beside my bed when I wake up. So the momentum piece is important and there's actually lots of things that I think we can do for that. Okay. So if people want to know more about you, where yes. should they go to, to find out about you? If they want to, like, laugh more at my jokes. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, firstly, I, can I just say that was so much fun. I really loved talking to you. That was a really fun podcast to do. They're not always all fun. So <laughs> I, I appreciate that you, you know, read the book and I, I feel like they were really good questions and I hope they're helpful for people actually in listening. So if people are interested, I am Instagram obsessed. Oh, yeah, okay. I know. I know. We should all be clear about that. So my consulting business is called Who Am I Projects? with okay. an S on the end. Okay. So if people are interested to see what we're doing in the consulting business and, and who we're working with and a bit about what I'm doing day to day, please follow us on Instagram. You can also search hashtag Lisa Stevenson with a PH. Thanks, mum and dad. Have to get the PH in there. If you're interested in having me as a speaker or talking to me about coaching services, you can check out Lisa Stevenson Consulting online. The business website uh, that shows all our leadership programs and work that we do is whoamiprojects.com.au. If you love my voice so much but also want to see my face, uh, on YouTube, I do have a YouTube channel, so just search Lisa Stevenson and I quite regularly put up some little snippets up there of things that I'm working on or thinking about, so there's some new content that's just gone up on that. And I'm on Twitter as Lisa Stevenson. And have I covered every form of social media that is available? LinkedIn. Oh, LinkedIn. My have number one favourite. Uh, do you love LinkedIn? It's my favourite. Right. Okay. So, yes, of course. <laughs> so, Lisa Stevenson on LinkedIn. And actually, yeah, I've got an article up uh, at the moment about the resilience over happiness piece. Oh, right. So, if people were interested in that, they can go and have a read of the article and I love to connect with people on LinkedIn, actually, for all the obvious reasons we know. I won't go into that. But, um, yeah, thank you so much for having me. Okay. And to finish up, any last words on leadership and success? Mm, last words, yes. My, my favourite quote at the moment on, on this is, you have everything you need, but it will take everything you've got. You know, people have already got so much potential and knowledge and do not interpret this as there's a whole lot of stuff I've got to go away and do. You know, what if you've got everything you need, but it's just going to take everything you've got to bring it to life. Well, on that mm. note, thank you so much, Lisa, for thank being a you. part of it. Uh, really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Synergy and Leadership Podcast. I trust you found it interesting. A couple of things. If you could go online and leave a review of the podcast, that would be great. Really help us in uh, spreading awareness of the podcast. Happy for you to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty easy to find. And if you want to shoot me through an email, julian at synergygroup.com.au. See you next time.